Good afternoon. My name is Michael, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders of this church. It's so good to see you. Many of you reached out to me this week. You said you were praying for me. Such an encouragement. And um, it's a privilege to preach one last sermon in James before we finish the book in a couple months. About a year ago, the staff pastors of the church were having a half a day of staff planning. Pastor Mark and Pastor Brian over there, myself, we spent about half the day with a big calendar thinking about the next year, planning out all the events that the church was going to have, what Bible studies were we going to be teaching through, sermon series, trips. You know, we had different colored pencils, different markers. That calendar, by the end of it, was full, a year's worth. Uh, That was in March 2020. You guys know what happened after that. If you could, remember back to April 2020. It's hard even to think about it. Shops were closed. Everyone was buying gloves and masks. Theaters were empty. Flights canceled. No gatherings. Not for a wedding. Not to gather with the church. Sports postponed indefinitely. And do you remember the streets? Silence. And of course, this led to sickness, COVID spread. People were in the hospital, but you couldn't visit the hospital. People were dying, but you couldn't go for the funeral. And we are still living in a unique time of exceptional crisis, a global pandemic, we have to ask ourselves, even today, a year and a half later, what does God want to teach us? James today tells us two things. First, we need to repent of our godless planning. And second, we need to warn others of God's wrath. The last three, uh, two sermons in James, we saw there's this wisdom that's from hell we need to repent of. We saw there's a spiritual adultery. We also need to repent of it by God's grace. Today, James has another rebuke. Rebukes are hard to hear, yet we must hear them. Each of us needs to search our souls, children in the room, parents, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you need to ask yourself, have your plans been void of God? Let every person be warned. Whether you're a university student or a CEO, whether you're a husband or a wife, 
This is a warning passage. And I'm not sure how many more warnings the Lord will give you. It's a warning of God's wrath. So friends, let's go to God's word humbly together. Let's listen to James. First in chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, James is going to share a time when planning is actually sinful presumption. When planning is sinful presumption. Look at verse 13. He gets our attention. Come now. Listen up. Who is James writing to here? Well, we see a couple things in verse 13. It's somebody who's planning. They know when they're going to go. James says today, or maybe it's tomorrow. They know even where they're going to go. They're going to go into such and such a town. They know the duration of their trip. They're going to spend a year there. They know what they're going to do. They're going to trade. And even they know the result. They're going to make a profit. Now, if you remember, the original audience of James, they were dispersed Jews, likely due to persecution. Many of them were poor. Many of them were oppressed. But here, too, we find that some of them were rich. These were perhaps rich Christian merchants out to make some money. Today, we could think of them as the traveling business person of Dubai. Maybe many of you. You're leaving tomorrow. Perhaps you're going to Abu Dhabi. You'll be gone a couple of weeks. You're on a business trip. Your goal, you're sure of it, you're going to make some money. But James delivers a rebuke for this. And we have to ask why. Look at verse 13. What is wrong with this verse? James isn't against planning in particular. He's not against saving money even. If you have life insurance, that's not wrong. Or maybe you're saving for retirement. James also is not against moving, going to a new city, or even traveling for pleasure. He's certainly not against business. None of us would be able to work or profit, making money. These are not the things James is rebuking, but we do find out the rebuke in verse 14. He's rebuking them for planning like God. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. They're acting like they're all-knowing. They don't remember that they're men and women, humans with limitations. You know, some of you are very smart. You're intelligent. Yet none of you, myself included, are omniscient, all-knowing. They're planning like they're God. They're planning as if tomorrow was promised. They forgot. Life is uncertain. God's not promised tomorrow. They're also planning without God. Look back at verse 13. They're acting as if God was not sovereign. There's no caveats, no ifs, no cautions. 
They're acting as if God didn't exist. Look at verse 13. There's no mention of God. James' audience was not prepared for the question James would ask next. Look at the question he asks. What is your life? Now that's a question we don't ask one another, is it? We ask each other all sorts of questions. Where are you from? What do you do? How are you doing? How was your day? When's the last time somebody asked you, what is your life? This is James' question for us. How would you answer that question if James asked you? You probably didn't come ready. You probably didn't think that was going to be asked of you today. We need this question. I don't know how many times I've heard it said, how is it already May? When did that happen? I've said it. I probably said it a week ago. How is it already 2021? The years seem to fly by. If, if you catch yourself saying things like that, or you hear it around you, James' answer is going to shock you. He says in verse 14, you're a mist. You are a mist. That's your life. A vapor. A, a puff of smoke. My phone gives me these little notifications on my photos. You know, one year ago today, this is what you're doing. Three years ago today. This week, one popped up. It said six years ago. Six years ago, this week, I had graduated from seminary. My friend and I, who graduated with me, we hopped in a car, drove 20 hours to the mountains. We went camping at Jenny Lake in the Tetons. It was incredible. And in the morning, we were right by the lake. At dawn, the mist from the lake would rise, but it would be soon gone. Of course, I didn't think at that time, this is my life. But now, after studying James, this is the question he wants to ask us. This is the thought he wants to put in our brains. You're a mist. You appear for a little time. And then you vanish. Another way to say this is, your life is short and you're going to die. Tomorrow is not promised. Not only is life uncertain, life is short. It's short. Death is a certainty. You know, Jesus tells this story in Luke 12. There's a parable he gives of a rich fool. You see, the rich man, he has a large harvest, and he doesn't know what to do with all his crops. So what does he do? He says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my old barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The rich fool was planning like he was God. He was planning without God. And his life was cut short. 
What if we knew? What if we knew these truths deep in our hearts? What if we knew our own limitations, the uncertainty and the brevity of life and death's certainty? How would we then plan? The answer is in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's interesting here, these previous truths we just looked at, they don't lead to inaction, they actually lead to action. He says, we will live and we will do this or that. This is man's responsibility. We should make plans. It's wise. It's good. If you're in a bad work environment, it, it might be wise to start thinking of a new business venture. Maybe you need to look for a new job. If you're separated from your immediate family, it would probably be wise to have a plan of when you plan to be reunited together again. If you're in debt, it'd be good to make a plan to get out of debt. If you're a university student hoping for graduation, it would be smart and wise to make a plan that you get there. But these plans we see are under God's sovereignty. Look at verse 15. He starts with that little two-letter word, if. If, this is acknowledging God's sovereignty. God is in control. There's not a power that can override any of His plans. He's sovereign over today. He's sovereign over tomorrow. He's in control of the length of your life. He's in control over where you live or how long you'll be there. How many times have you heard someone say, I was going to be in Dubai for one or two years and it's been 15? God is sovereign over how long you'll live. He's sovereign over your profession. Maybe 10 years ago, you couldn't have imagined you'd be doing the job you do now. He's even sovereign over how much money you'll make. You know, I used to fight against this doctrine, but it was in 2009, I became convinced from the scriptures, from the Bible, that God was sovereign. Listen to a few texts from the Old Testament. Daniel 2. Verse 20, I change times and seasons. I remove kings and set up kings. God is sovereign over world leaders. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in my hand, says the Lord. I turn it wherever I will. He's sovereign over their decision making. 1 Samuel 2 Verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, kill and bring to life. I make poor and make rich. I bring low and I exalt. God is sovereign over death and life, over if you're rich or if you're poor. This should lead us to say something, James says. It's to say if. Verbal proclamation of submission. That's what that little word's about. It's about you acknowledging that the Lord is the one who's in control and not you. But it's not just a verbal proclamation. It's a heart posture of dependence. It's not just inshallah, 
which we hear all the time. It's acknowledging in your heart that you are finite and that God is in control. But it's not just planning under God's sovereignty. James says it's also planning under God's will. Verse 15, he says, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, as Christians, the gospel radically changed our plans and our purposes. It brought all of them under God's will. Think about what the gospel's done for you, Christian. The gospel's humbled you because you know God is sovereign over your salvation. He reminds you that it's about grace, not about your own works. The gospel has also brought peace. It's brought peace to your planning because you remember that God's sovereign. Not even death is something we fear as Christians because eternity for us is not an unknown. Eternity is with the Lord. The gospel changes how we view today. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. That was his prayer to the Father, and now that's our prayer. It even changes how we travel. Imagine this, the Apostle Paul, he was making travel plans from Ephesus, and he told them, I will return to you if the Lord wills. Even our business, Jesus told us, we seek first not business, We seek first the kingdom of God. So as we think about our work, we flee from both the idolatry of work, worshiping it, finding our identity in work. No, for Christians, our identity is in Jesus Christ. It's the fact that we are sons and daughters. But the gospel also makes us flee from our idleness at work. We remember that our boss is not actually our boss. We work for one king, Jesus. We do all our work unto him. But of course, as Christians, we also know that we've not always made our plans under God's sovereignty and under God's will. James, again, in verse 16, has a rebuke. He says, You should have said verse 15, if the Lord wills. What you actually say is verse 13. It's godless planning. He says, as it is, you're boasting. You're bragging. You're showing off. And look what he says you're boasting in. It's in your arrogance. Your view of yourself, it's exaggerated. You think of yourself too highly. Your view of God, it's too small. You think of him too little or not at all. I asked my daughter this morning, Holden, I asked her, what's your name? This morning she said something surprising. She said, God. I was shocked. She was joking, I think, and it was funny at the time. But I'm afraid many of us live our lives as if that was our name. Our plans reveal it. James says this is evil. It's sin. We need to repent of our arrogance, James says. 
And doesn't the gospel, it helps us here because it reminds us that as Christians, we actually have nothing, not one thing to boast in except God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. James gives a summary in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do fails to do it. For him, it's sin. James kind of changes our view of sin here. Many of us view sin as not doing things we shouldn't. James flips that. He says it's also not doing things that we should have. If you know God's will, if you know what's right, and you don't do it, James says that's sin. So we also need to repent of our ignorance. And again, the gospel helps us here because, friends, each of us has countless sins that we are completely unaware of. And yet, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ covers them all. We've seen here in chapter 4 when planning is actually sinful presumption. We need to repent of this godless planning. In chapter 5, in these first few verses, we see when storing up wealth is storing up wrath. When storing up wealth is storing up wrath. In the beginning of chapter 5, again, we have to ask that question, who is James writing to here? Well, if you look at verse 1, he says, come now, listen up, you rich. It's someone who's rich. We see that throughout the first six verses. Verse one, he says they're rich. Verse two, he talks about their riches, their garments. Verse three, their gold, their silver, their treasure. Verse four tells us a little more. They're landowners. These are landowners. Verse five, they live in luxury. Verse six is a little shocking. He says they're also murderers. They've killed Now, we remember back to that original audience, they're dispersed Jews. Some of them are poor and oppressed. Here, it seems we find James addressing non-Christian landowners who have been exploiting Christian day laborers. Now, the next verses help us with that because in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, James addresses the Christians, the brothers who are being oppressed. He says, you... Be patient. So it seems in chapter 5 in the beginning, James is strictly warning these non-Christians. Look at the warning. He acts like a judge. He gives them a verdict. Miseries are coming, James says in verse 1. He tells them, weep and howl. These phrases in the Old Testament, weep and howl, they're never calls to repentance. They're always announcements of judgment and God's doom. Miseries are coming. This is agony awaiting them. Anguish, pain. It's punishment, despair, and doom. But why? Why are they being judged? Maybe you're wondering is it wrong to be wealthy? There's many warnings, of course, in the Scripture about being wealthy. 
But the Bible teaches us that wealth is not sin. It's not wrong to be rich. The question we need to ask, and James is going to answer all three of these questions, is how do you use your wealth first? It could be sin, how you use your money. Next, we need to ask ourselves, how did you gain your wealth? That also could be sin. Last, we need to ask, how does your wealth shape you? How does it influence you? And James, again, has an answer for that. In the next verses, verses 2 through 6, James lays out all the evidence against these rich oppressors. In verses 2 and 3, we see how they used their wealth. They were hoarding, James says. They were stockpiling their resources. Look at verses 2 and 3. We see certain things here. We see riches. But let's look at what God sees also. James tells us. We see riches. God sees rot. We see garments. In the first century, clothing was very expensive. Think designer clothing. What does God see? He sees moth food. We see gold and silver. God sees corrosion. God sees evidence. We see treasure, but it's just trash on the last day. And Jesus helps us here in Matthew 6. He says, don't don't do this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Don't hoard. Yet, what are they doing? They're doing the exact opposite. It's evidence. James says they also use their wealth for extravagance in verse 5, for luxury, for self-indulgence. One commentator said they were living without a thought of heaven to be gained or hell to be avoided. You might call it the good life, the Dubai dream. I read in one ad, it said, Dubai is the very definition of luxury. And here we see James building his case. Every Durham of indulgence, evidence against them. And then we have to ask ourselves, friends, how do we use our wealth? How do we use it? As Christians, we, of course, don't waste our wealth and we don't worship our wealth. There's a third way. We steward our wealth because we know something. We know we have treasure in heaven. So that means we give sacrificially, cheerfully. So many of you are great, excellent models and examples of this. We do it because of Christ, not to win awards, not to win the approval of man. It's amazing here in this room, some of you are poor, yet your bank account in heaven is booming. As a church, we give through the Benevolence Fund, We give to other churches. We've partnered with many other churches. Smyrna International Protestant Church in Turkey. Erbil Church. We sent a former elder. We gave money to these ministries, these churches. We're not just about building Covenant Hope Church's name up. We want to give freely to others. That's how we use our wealth. 
James has one more piece of evidence. He says, look at how they gained their wealth. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, we see they exploited. They withheld wages. They were fraudulent. In verse 6, he says they murdered. Now, this might sound weird to hear that there were murderers he was addressing, but in the first century, if you're a day laborer working on somebody else's land and you don't get paid at the end of the day, that might lead to starvation. You are literally living on your day's wages. It might lead to your death. And what did the rich think? The rich thought, nobody knows. Or maybe if they do know, nobody cares. Or maybe if they do care, nobody's powerful enough to stop us. This is what's called systemic injustice. There was a whole class of people getting richer while another class of people starved. But here's what the rich did not know. Look at verse 4. They didn't know that the cries, even the wages itself, were reaching up and the Lord of hosts heard. The Lord of armies heard their cries. If you're oppressed, if you've not been getting your paycheck, maybe you've not been getting your day off, the Lord hears your cries. Cry out to Him. Do not stop crying. He hears you. You have hope knowing that the Lord of hosts hears your cries. And know too the God, the all-knowing God we serve, He sees in secret. There's no such things as secrets with God. Justice is coming for you. We also need to ask ourselves once again, how do we gain our wealth? The UAE, of course, is notorious for domestic laborers, workers being abused, unpaid wages are common. There's been reports of 21-hour workdays, physical and sexual assault. Maybe you see this at your workplace. As a Christian, it's your job to warn the people who are doing this that the Lord of hosts hears. He knows. Judgment is coming. They need to repent. If you're an authority in your workplace, maybe you own your own business. Maybe you're a principal of a school or a president. Maybe you're the head of your department or you're somebody's boss. You, my friend, need to treat your employees like God hears their cries because He does. Please think beyond what is legal. Don't go for the bare minimum. Go above and beyond. Think about how can I bless them? How can I be generous? We need to fight the idol of wealth in our own hearts because if you look at verse 5, we see how their wealth shaped them. Look how James describes it in verse 5. They had fattened their hearts in a day of slaughter. They were blind. They couldn't see that they were getting themselves fat like cattle, but it was the day of slaughter. They had no clue. Jesus asks us, who do you serve? Do you serve God? Do you serve money? And your bank statements, 
and our receipts, every transaction, they reveal something about us. They reveal our allegiance. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. These rich people thought they were storing up wealth. James tells us they were really storing up wrath. What about you? If you're not a Christian, I must warn you, there's a judgment day coming. Do you realize what time it is? Today or tomorrow, it's not promised. Your life is a mist. These are the last days. The day of slaughter. It's, it's coming soon. Are you ready? my non-Christian friend, to face the Lord of hosts. Jesus came first for the salvation of sinners. Even, this text tells us, even those who are oppressors, even tax collectors who had defrauded others for their own gain, Jesus came for those even the oppressed poor. He actually died in the place of sinners. Died in the place of oppressors. God's wrath that this text is so clear about, it was poured out on Jesus for you. But, when He comes again, He's coming to judge. Judgment day is coming. Jesus is our Savior. He's also the judge of the entire world. Judgment, it's not just punishment. It's an unmasking, an exposure, an uncovering of what's been hidden at the bottom. Your true self will be shown. Friend, repent. Repent of your sins. Flee to Jesus Christ now while you have breath in your lungs. Christians, we remember, especially in hard texts like this, that we were some of those. We were those who lived for ourselves. We were obsessed with our wealth. We used to live for our will. We used to do what we wanted to do. We were about our kingdom, our wants, but God through Jesus Christ has completely transformed us. And so we warn others now. With the same warning we received, we tell them God's judgment is coming. Flee to Christ. And we have a new song which we'll sing in just a moment. Our song is now, His will be done. His kingdom come on earth as it is above. Christ is Himself our daily bread. Praise Him, the Lord of love. Friends, let's pray. Lord, we are grieved at how heavy Your wrath will be upon those who have sinned against You. 
because we know that that was us as Christians. Lord, we are so thankful for the grace and the mercy that you've extended to us in our salvation through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Repent. When we've lived and planned our days like you didn't exist, help us, Lord. Warn others of your coming judgment. In Jesus' name, amen.